Hey everyone, welcome back and welcome to episode 25 of the Orange Shoe Podcast. I'm excited. I'm one quarter of the way to my goal of 100 episodes. Pretty excited. With that, I get to introduce you guys to Natalie Harris. Natalie is a registered dietitian and is the owner of her business, Permission Dietitian. Um, It was great talking with Natalie today and just having a great conversation about just the, the dieting world and nutrition in general and just how confusing it is and how we can just kind of like peel back the layers and just get back to the basics and just giving our, ourselves permission to eat the things that we enjoy and not eat the things that we don't enjoy and everything in between. So I just really hope you guys enjoy this episode and um, I hope that um, if you guys find this valuable that you're able to connect with Natalie um, and just have a really great conversation with her. She's super educated and super passionate about what she does. And I think you guys are really going to be able to kind of feel that through um, the way she talks and how she explains things. So it was a great conversation and I hope you guys enjoy it. So without further ado, I introduce you to Natalie Harris. Hey, Natalie, welcome to the Orange Shoe Podcast. Thank you so much for uh, joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to see how this goes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Ever for most people I talk to, this is like their first podcast. And so everyone's like, Tom, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, just like I fingers crossed this goes well. And I'm like, it's gonna be just fine. So that's that's um, me. Yeah. <laughs> so Natalie, so yeah, so you're a registered dietitian. Um, you're the owner of Permission Dietitian, right? You sent out yes. a fantastic um newsletter that you kind of uh sent us one um you mm-hmm. also work with people individually to you know develop um a better relationship with food and developing you know um plans for them for eating and just becoming healthier yeah. um and so i'm really excited to to dive into this because you know the world of dieting is just so confusing um everybody is being told by everybody what they should do and then everything is going against each other one time right. they get told to do this and then the next person tells them no that's dumb you should do this and it leads to a very confusing world so i love talking to people who are pro- professionals okay. in the industry and can kind of clear up some of that murkiness and provide people like the simple basics and just like a clear path and there is no one size fits all so since you're um, a dietitian, you know, and everyone has their, their background of what ignited the fire for them to do what they're currently doing. Um, tell us a little bit about your background and how you find your, how you found your pa- uh, passion to become a dietitian. Yeah. Well, I would say, um, like I grew up in the eighties and nineties when dieting was basically recommended and advised. Um, and so I grew up with a mom who was dieting and then I, by nature, I think was interested in dieting. So what started off as I think a good intentioned wanting to lose some weight, which quite honestly, I didn't need to lose weight in the first place. It was just me. It was probably more vanity and comparing Mm -hmm. to other girls in high school and things like that. But so I started dieting and that was when, um, like Jenny Craig and, um, what's the other main one? Wait, maybe it was Weight Watchers. I don't know. I was on like Jenny Craig and Weight Watchers in high school. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I didn't even need, to, <laughs> there's no point in being on them in the first place. But anyways, that started probably an obsession with food that I didn't realize dieting probably triggered that, but I didn't realize it at the time. So I was probably pretty focused on food from a pretty young age. And then I was also going to aerobics. It, it was mm-hmm. kind of funny. You sent me these questions ahead of time. And as I was looking through them, I thought, oh my gosh, that's when I was doing aerobics at Victani. I grew up in Brookfield and I would go to aerobics at Victani. And there's a new show out right now. Um, 
where it talks about the 80s and 90s and the aerobics. It's, I think I really see that. Good. Is that on Apple? Was that on Apple Plus? Yeah, physical or something like yeah, that. Yeah, let's it's get really good. physical. Yeah, physical. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a really good show. Unfortunately, I mean, in a good way, she gives a voice to having an eating disorder. The main actress has an eating disorder in the show. Um, I thought it was really good. It was interesting even for my husband to be like, is that really what goes on in people's heads when they have an eating disorder? And I'm like, yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. it's, it's intense. So anyway, um, I was doing aerobics, going on diets. And then I went to Madison for college. Uh, I think I originally wanted to be a teacher. I don't know why. I probably just picked, I didn't know what I wanted to do. No one really months. does. That's <laughs> right. one thing. Like in high school, they expect you to be like, what do you want to be? What do you want to go to college for? And it's like, I'm 17, 18. I, I have no idea. I know it's true. Yeah. So I very quickly realized, I don't think I'm meant to be a teacher. So I, I went to a counselor and I don't remember if the counselor gave me some kind of a test. Or I don't remember, but she came back and said, here's a whole list of things that pair up with what you show an interest in. And dietetics was on there. I didn't even know what a dietitian was. But as she explained it, I thought, I'll, I'll just go down that path. It sounds interesting. I do think, again, in hindsight, I mean, I've been out of school since 1994, so it's been a long time and I've learned a lot. I do think in hindsight, some of my interest was a result of being on diets. The restriction in dieting can kind of increase your focus on food. But anyway, I got a degree in dietetics um, and then got out of college. And I would say getting a degree in dietetics, in my personal experience, experience, it actually kind of fed into some of the disordered eating I had going on. I've never had an eating disorder. I'm quite sure if I was predispositioned towards one, I'd have one by now because I've done enough behaviors that would definitely contribute to it. So, but I would definitely say I was disordered. Um, and then when I got out of college, there was a Christian program that was offered at our church, um, by a registered dietitian. It was called way down. I don't know mm -hmm. if you've ever heard of it, but there's a show on that now. Um, <laughs> The, the name of the show is called The Way Down. Unfortunately, the woman who started did, just, just died in a plane crash. Um, it ended up being a cult, which is really scary. However, it is kind of interesting that I do think a lot of dieting is kind of cultish. It, it is like a religion to a lot of people. So there's a lot of overlap there. But yeah, anyway, there's a lot of identity to it. Yeah, a lot of identity. Yeah. A lot of people put their identity in how they eat. Completely. Yeah. So... But that program is, I would say, was the beginning of sparking my passion for wanting to help people not be obsessed with food, because through that program, I learned to be what is now called intuitive eating. It, it didn't have, I think intuitive, the authors of the actual book, Intuitive Eating, were, were like becoming popular. Well, I don't know if popular is the right word, but their book was written right around the time of this, this way down program. But so through Way Down, I learned how to eat intuitively. And that was such a freeing feeling that I'm just like, okay, this is what I want to help people do. I don't want to help people, you know, count calories. I don't want to help people be hyper-focused on food. I just want to help them to eat intuitively. So that was the initial spark of interest. Um, and then, and I think when I listened to you, you and your, I think Kelly's your wife, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you got, you guys did like the intuitive eating podcast. And what really stuck out to me was how much. I think what I heard from her is how freeing it was to be able to eat more intuitively. And that really stuck out to me. So that, that is what I like about being a dietitian. But then later, um, I decided to stay home with our kids. We have four kids. And as they were getting older, all of a sudden I realized they were hungry all the time. And this was the first time intuitive eating. I was just kind of like, 
I don't know. I think I need a little something more because being hungry all the time feels like you're, I'm putting food out constantly. And that took me down the path of reading Ellen Satter's books. I don't know if you've heard of Ellen Satter. Mm -hmm. She is a registered dietitian and a social worker by degree. She's going into retirement, but she has the Ellen Satter Institute. She's known across the world for like the um, two models of eating. One is called um, the division of responsibility. And that's for how to raise children to be healthy around food and competent is the word she uses. And then she also has a method for what I have taken on for helping people get off of the dieting roller coaster. It's called the how to eat method. So, but anyway, I didn't know that I didn't know the how to eat method way back then, but what I really appreciated about, um, Ellen Satter's models was that it gave me a framework. It gave me some structure to allow my kids to eat intuitively without constantly eating. Does that make sense? So there, mm -hmm. you know, it, she just, she gave the, like, there's a breakfast and then you clean up, there's a lunch and then you clean up, there's a dinner, you know, and then, and kids get hungry frequently. So there's snacks in between. So anyway, that took me down the path of, um, following an actual model that, I mean, intuitive eating is also a model, but at the time back then it wasn't quite a model. They were still researching it both. I would say both of those dietitians though, their journeys stemmed from having like this gut feeling that diets don't work and that they actually do harm. So that's where these models came out of. So anyway, that's how I raised my kids. And then I went back to work at Rogers hospital because I knew I wanted to work with eating disorders. So I went back kind of part-time there and, um, later when I, when I learned the model from Ellen Sarah, that's the, how to eat training model to help people stop dieting that sparked a second passion in me and me going out on my own recently is the focus of going on my own is to help people not diet now in my private practice. Uh, when you're working in eating disorders, it's really nice to come from a standpoint of not dieting, but eating disorder recovery requires a lot of like structured meal plans. And I just was not super interested in that part of the eating disorder recovery, the meal plan part of it. So I kind of mm -hmm. went on my own to kind of um, help people later in their recovery, I guess mm -hmm. is what I would say when they're a little more stable and mm -hmm. a little more recovered. But the part I I'm most passionate about is the normalization part, the not so structured part. I mean, it's still structured, but not quite so rigid, I guess is the word. Mm -hmm. So those were the two main, I would say those are the two main passion points for me was the freedom I experienced. And then learning about Alan Saturn, having a little bit of structure to it, um, mm -hmm. to, to helping people eat. So, yeah. yeah, you hit on a lot of really great stuff there. And, and a lot of things that people struggle with when it comes to mm -hmm. eating, right. The, the roller coaster, the freedom, the, the structure, I mean, there's so many things and everybody struggles with a different portion of dieting. You know, some people don't right. struggle with the freedom idea because they feel like I could eat whatever I want, but mm -hmm. then, but they need a structure and they have a hard time with structuring and knowing, you know, I'm doing good Monday through Friday, but Saturday and Sunday, I let it all go. And, right. and it's that roller coaster, like you said, and that's one of the, the biggest detriments to a lot of people is the, is the up and down and constantly changing or what people call diet hopping. You know, I mm -hmm. do this and that doesn't work in two weeks. Cause I didn't, you know, that didn't yeah. work in two weeks. I didn't lose the 20 pounds in four hours. Like it said, so I'm going to jump to this one. And, and so yeah. it, it, it could be, it's a very roller coaster, um, mm -hmm. and, and scary situation to be in and tend to really not know what to do. And, um, right. so your, your business name is permission dietitian. Right. What does, um, permission dietitian mean to you and why did you come up with that? Yeah. Name? So that came from mostly from reading Alan Satter's books. 
So I would say the three core areas to um, take away from her books are, are structure, like I said, um, permission within structure, and then trust. You're learning to trust your body, that it knows, your body knows how to work. It, it has signals to tell you when you're hungry. It has signals to tell you when to stop. Um, so permission came out of those three core components. And the permission paradox is what I'm, I'm trying to play off of. And that is that ironically, when you give yourself permission, your eating behaviors usually get better, not worse, but most people are afraid they're going to get worse. So mm -hmm. they're the, the permission to just enjoy what you're eating at the moment and to know you can eat it again at a different meal or a different day means you don't have to eat it all right now. And mm -hmm. it truly is a paradox though, because most people will say, I can't eat that at all because if I do, I won't stop. And it's actually the restriction and the restraint that contributes to that, not, not the permission. So mm -hmm. it is a true paradox. So that's mm -hmm. where the, the, the title came from for me. That's great. That's the passionate part for me. The permission is the passionate side for me. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Um, so like I said earlier, when I was kind of introducing you, the, yeah. the word, the word diet has been really mm -hmm. just tossed around everywhere now. Um, and like you said, in the seventies and eighties, you know, we, there's always the fad diet that seems to be popping up every two or three years or something new or some breakthrough science, right. That says, you know, eating like this is actually good for you now. Start eating like this or don't eat this or fat-free, sugar-free, low-carb, high-carb, you know, carnivore, herbivore, you know, vegan, vegetarian. Like there's just so much out there. Um, and the word diet now, I think when a lot of people hear the word diet, it's almost kind of cringeworthy to the point mm -hmm. now where people are like, mm -hmm. ooh, diet, like, ugh, like, because ah. a diet in a lot of people's mind just means I'm trying to lose weight. Right. And I try to strip that down for most people and be like, no diet just refers to what you eat to fuel your body. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with low carb, high carb. It's just how you eat on a daily basis to fuel your body and your activity level. Right. It doesn't have to mean that you're trying to lose weight or gain weight or trying to maintain weight. It just means what you're eating. Right. And how do you like to strip that down when people, you know, start to kind of confuse the word diet? Oh, yeah. Um, I think that it's, I think it's gotten really complicated, as you said, because I, I think it's becoming pretty well known that diets don't work. Like the research does show that I've heard a lot of different statistics, anywhere from 85 to 95% of people who try to lose weight usually end up putting it back on within three to five years. And some people, a, a third of one of some of the studies show a third of people put on more weight because mm -hmm. it's almost like the body is trying to prevent itself from starving. Cause I, you know, in the non-diet, you know, I'm considered more of an anti-diet dietitian in the non-diet world. Um, we talk about the fact that your body doesn't know if it's in a famine or on a diet, like it just knows it's not being fed what it needs. And so it releases chemicals and hormones to make you hungrier, you know, to search out the quote unquote, bad foods, the foods that are kind of higher in fat and higher in sugar. Cause they taste good. They're quick energy. Um, and so most people can't restrain themselves for too long. And then when the, so it's like a pendulum. And then once the restraint is broken, the floodgates open and it's like a binge or overeating. And it's like that vicious cycle back and forth. So a little bit of a tangent to say, I think it's becoming somewhat better known that diets don't work for the most part, but it is a billion dollar industry. And so there are a lot of smart people figuring out ways to shape shift dieting. And now it's turned into wellness. 
And so one of the main authors and books I go to for some of this information is the book titled Anti-Diet by Christy Harrison. She's a registered dietitian. She's got her master's in public health. She dug really deep into this word diet and what it means. I mean, all the way back to like the eighth century. <laughs> um, and, and her point in the book is just to say that most diets from a weight loss standpoint, like you said, dieting can just mean what I'm eating and drinking on a daily basis. Uh, diet, the word diet, not dieting, but diet can mean what I eat, what I drink on a daily basis. But that word has gotten for most people, it means weight loss, like you already said too, um, but it's getting co-opted by the wellness industry. And it is truly really confusing to know um, whether it's a diet or not. So like one article I was just reading this morning was written by um, Virginia Soulsmith, who's a really good writer about this stuff. And she was critiquing Noom, um, who claimed to be a not, to claim to not be a diet. But really when you dig into it, it's very diety. And so this billion dollar industry is hard to fight because it's such a moneymaker that there are always going to be ways to step in and be like, well, this one works or, you know, try to show evidence that it works. Or even like Noom says, they involve psychology. I mean, that's very, um, um, it's playing on people's like desires to, to take care of themselves. But at the same time, it's, it's very deceitful because it really is diety. It, most people, I guess, report that if they, I've never done Noom, but pe most people report, um, it usually ends up putting them on like 1200, maybe 14, 1500 calories. And that's, that's not enough calories for most people. Um, mm -hmm. and it's, it's almost getting more toward like semi-starvation type eating. So mm -hmm. in the end it doesn't work. So, um, I guess, I guess it's a little bit of a tangent. I don't know if that answers your question, but it, it's actually, I think I'm just validating the fact that it's actually really confusing. Like even I myself sometimes get to the end of my rope. Like, can I really fight this system? I don't know. <laughs> it's exhausting. Yeah. You know, um, we're so passionate same theory, you know, in the personal training, right. And getting people to move their bodies and stuff. And you do, you, sometimes you get beat down because we do feel like there's the cards are stacked against us there. Mm -hmm. The diet industry has so much money. The pharmaceutical industry has so much money. They would rather just give somebody a pill instead of mm -hmm. teaching people how to do it themselves in a very holistic way. And yeah. we're constantly yeah. up against the money making machine. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, my belief is that like, you know, the pharmaceutical company and the diets company and the, the wellness world, they don't want people healthy because if they're healthy, they're not going to use their products. And then they're not mm -hmm. going to make money. People yeah. are not going to be having surgeries. They're not going to be having heart attacks. They're not going to be having all these issues that mm -hmm. make them have to go to doctors to get, you know, high blood pressure medication and all this stuff that can yeah. be fixed from, you know, really good mm -hmm. eating and moving your body on a consistently basis. And it, it really does seem like our healthcare industry really just doesn't really want us to be healthy. They want us to be healthy somewhat, but not mm -hmm. really all the way. And because if they, the, the well will dry up when it comes to money and that's, what's scary. And mm -hmm. like you said, with the dieting is, you know, you're, you're so right. And that's why, you know, Kelly and I, we don't really, mm -hmm. we don't preach a diet. We don't want, mm -hmm. everyone's like, Oh, so what do you guys believe in? And what should I be doing when I join your gym? And I'm like, mm -hmm. there's nothing like, I'm not, we don't preach any diet. It's a, it's a very individual journey. Yeah. And because for most people, and I've seen this so many times in my, in my career with training is that, you know, people find events in their life that are like, I got a wedding or summer's mm -hmm. coming up or spring's coming up. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to go keto. So, yeah. and I'm like, well, why are you going keto? I was like, is this going to be a lifestyle? Is this something you mm -hmm. see yourself sustaining for the rest of your life? 
Um, or is just this something that you're looking just to kind of drop some LBs real quick? Well, yeah, I just want to lose some weight. Yeah. And then you said like, they get off of it. They have this goal, right? They have this, mm-hmm. like they go on the diet to lose 20. Once they hit 20, they're like, yes, right. I don't have to do this anymore. Like that was so, right. I hated every day of it. And right. then, like you said, the weight comes right back on and usually it's more. And yeah. that's, like you said, that's a perfect example of just diets don't work. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. you can crash diet. Anybody can crash diet and lose a bunch of weight because mm-hmm. your body's going to be like, Whoa, what's going on. But on top of always, my biggest thing is as a trainer is like, yeah, you're going to lose, you're going to lose weight, but you're also a lot of that weight is actually your, your muscle mass. Mm-hmm. Your body's right. going to start utilizing metabolizing muscle because you're not feeding it and fueling it properly. Mm-hmm. So right. a lot of times people think they're losing the fat, but yeah, mm-hmm. you're losing fat, but also you're losing muscle and you're really throwing off your metabolism. And there's a lot right. of, mo- there's a lot more side effects to just, I look a certain way. I lost the yeah. weight. That's right. what I really try to get across to people. It's like, yeah, you lose the weight, but what else have you lost? Yeah. And mm-hmm. it, it's just such a, such a cruel mm-hmm. world. And it's so confusing. And I just, I just wish that we can clarify this, you know, to, yeah. you know, and, and help so many people. And yeah, and it's great. So with that, with that being said, you know, you talked about, you know, um, how you, you know, and I actually saw a great picture you posted on your Instagram, just like yesterday hmm. of like the quick trip run, right? You oh went to gosh. quick trip and your son, well, right? my son did. Yeah. yeah. He Not had like the Cal- he had a California <laughs> yeah. roll with like a crazy mozzarella stick and like yeah. stuff that doesn't go good together. I'm like, Oh man, that that's like, uh, that's a weird combination, but that's kids <laughs> for you. And you know how you, you hit on this a little bit earlier is how do we, because a lot of us, we are what we see our parents do. Mm-hmm. And Kelly had touched on this on her podcast about, mm-hmm. you know, you grow up and you see your parents dieting and mm-hmm. the aerobics and, you know, constantly going from one diet to the next and reading the Jenny Craig and then trying the weight loss, you know, mm-hmm. Weight Watchers and whatever the, the magazine cover said at the grocery store, that's what people were doing. Right. And so how do you help parents understand like how their actions are really going to affect their kids? And, um, you know, how do maybe you, cause like you could be a, like, you know, you could use yourself as an example of like, mm-hmm. how do you, um, in your daily life, like being a dietitian, right. Where you can mm-hmm. be almost hyper-focused on eating clean and, you know, making mm-hmm. sure they have structure and stuff like that to make it sure that you're not the helicopter parent, but you're also like balancing that to make sure that the kids grow up with a really good understanding of, you know, how to eat and not maybe, um, like, I guess saying like corrupting them in a way. Yeah. I mean, Again, that is a really good question. Um, That's not the million dollar question. (laughs) Right. I mean, one of my posts a while back was our, our old neighbor, we've moved since then, but our old neighbor, he was a little bit older than me, but um, he, I asked, somehow it came up that his mom, oh, probably because people ask you what you do for a living. I say dietitian. He's like, oh, my mom was a dietitian. And I don't mean, I don't meet too many people with, I don't hear of many older dietitians. Like I'm getting older. He was older than me and his mom was a dietitian. Um, so I just said, oh my gosh, what it was, what was it like growing up as, with a mom as a dietitian? And he said, I learned to sneak food. I learned to hide food. And that oh, broke my heart. Post, yep. Yeah. I, I just felt really sad about that. Cause like, but I think it's, I think it, and I don't think her intention, I think her intentions were totally good. Obviously as a mom, I, most parents want what's best for their kids and their health. Um, but my point in posting that was when you do try to do too much, you cross your line. So the division of responsibility is what I told you earlier from Ellen Satter. That is what I recommend for all parents. And the division of responsibility is that parents have a role and the children have a role in their eating. The parents' jobs 
are to um, plan, provide, you know, cook. And that kid's job within that structure is to decide how much they're going to eat and what they're going to eat based out of what's offered. Um, when you cross those, that's when problems start happening. So part of my job is to help try and figure out where those lines are being crossed, even if it's with good intentions. So when parents start telling their kids, you know, don't eat that much or stop eating, or you can't be that hungry, you're crossing the line of that's their job. That's an internal regulation system that you shouldn't be shutting down, even with good intentions. Um, so kids are smart that my neighbor as a little kid, he's like, my mom might be telling me I can't eat this because it's not healthy enough, but it really tastes good to me. So I'm just gonna have to go hide and eat it. And they're, they're, you, you kind of internalize this, like, why do I like something that's bad? And that's a really, kids don't have the cognitive ability to like think through, why would my mom tell me that what I eat, what I like eating is bad. It's just this innate, like this tastes good. I'm going to find a way to eat it. So I'm gonna have to sneak and eat it. So, um, you know, all of that to say, I try to come alongside parents and just teach the division of responsibility. And it's, it's, it's really simple. It's simple in the concept. I think living it out can be difficult. And one of the areas where it can be difficult is, um, if your child is on a trajectory to be a size that society doesn't deem that looks good, or, I mean, it's a lot of our body size is genetics. There isn't a whole lot of control we have over that. Like I said, I started dieting in high school. My intention was just to be thinner. There, I didn't even need to be on a diet in the first place. Um, so that wreaked havoc just from the beginning, but sometimes, um, like I said, even with good intentions, parents might be panicked about obesity or being overweight. And, and if, if that's a kid's genetics and you're trying to control that, you're crossing that division and that division, it, crossing that division is what causes the problem in the first place. So I just try to do my best to refer people to Ellen Satter's materials and her books. And I try to educate on um, growth and growth curves. The first place I learned about how to how to understand growth curves was through Ellen Satter's book. She's got a book called your child's weight, helping without harming. And she goes into some detail about how to interpret growth, growth curves. Um, and you're really only supposed to compare your kid with themselves and make sure that the curve is pretty smooth, give or take a little bit of bumps. But if we see a drastic change up or down, that's where we want to look into it and be like, well, what's going on? Why, why did weight suddenly drop or why did weight suddenly go up? But if they're following a curve high or low, things are probably pretty consistent and pretty stable. And you shouldn't intervene. You shouldn't be intervening at that point. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess to dig a little further deeper into that too, it, some of it comes down to being careful about how you talk about your own body and how you talk about food. Um, the non-diet world of dietitians uh, it usually tries to say that there are no good or bad foods, which is pretty hard for society to accept, I think, because we, we like to categorize foods as good or bad. Um, and what I like about the Ellen Satter models is she has, an, she has a way to offer those quote unquote bad foods within the structure so that they're just normalized and they're not a big deal. So that involves offering dessert once in a while, you know, have dessert, on the table once in a while, or, 
when you have a snack, offer those quote unquote bad foods and let them decide how much to eat of those, but just don't make a big deal about it and don't talk so much about it. Just do it. So one thing I think, um, in one of your podcasts with Kelly too, she talked about, Oh, I listened to one of the ones you guys did about meal planning. And there were so many positive things about like food was joyful. You want it to taste good. Like that's just reinforcing like enjoyment and pleasure. And within this context of structure, just don't make a big deal about it. Just let it be, um, let them learn how to internally regulate. So in my mind, when I was raising our kids, my confidence came from their ability to internally regulate and to consistently be offered a variety. And then my job is to trust as they get older and learn how to take care of themselves with food. There's a trust factor. And I just have to trust that they trust their bodies and it, it is, it is what it is. And that one son um, was my pickiest eater out of all four kids. So it was just kind of fun to see him eat something that I never thought he would eat. But at the same time, he took care of himself. He came home and ate, he was hungry. And I didn't do a good job planning that day because I'm also human. Um, and and he, it, it was just good to see that he took the initiative to be like, I'm hungry, I'm gonna get food. He covered the food groups <laughs> and um, he stopped when he was full and it was the end of the day. and. Yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. His, his, his meal combination was very interesting, but hey, it, 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 it got the job done. It really did. And I love what you're saying that, you know, like, like you said, a lot of our, our body has a lot of internal cues, right? We know when we're hungry, we know when we're full. Sometimes we know when we're too full Thanksgiving, yeah. you're unbuttoning your mm -hmm. pants, you know, we have those cues and that's great as a parent to understand that like your kids know when they're hungry and they know when they're full and to let yeah. them just decide whether, Hey mom, I, I would like something to eat or Hey mom, I, you know, I'm full. Like, and not, you know, sometimes I remember me growing up and mm -hmm. I would sit down and have dinner and I would eat and I would get really full. I'm like, you know, dad, I'm done. He's like, you got to finish your plate, right. blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like, but I'm full. Like I'm very right. satiated. Like I, my, yeah. my internal cues were telling me I'm good to go. And just because there's a couple of veggies on the plate, you know, they would right. challenge you to be like, if you don't eat your veggies, you don't get dessert. And now right. it's, you know, it's amazing how, when I was younger, I didn't necessarily think that that stuff was bad or mm -hmm. it was affecting me. But then you kind of think about it and you're like, man, like, like you said, kids are so smart. We pick up on everything. Your kids see yeah. and hear everything you do and say. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how like, yeah, if you're saying that stuff or like how you said, like how you're treating yourself. And mm -hmm. if you're, if your kid hears you say like, wow, I, I don't look good in these jeans or I'm too yeah. big or I need to lose weight. They pick up on that stuff like mm -hmm. so fast. And, mm -hmm. and, and it's, it's so hard, right? Like, you know, it there's is. never there as a parent, you're going to, your kids are going to hear you say that. Like you said, we're all human. We all make mistakes and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like when we're, you're kind of talking about me and Kelly were actually on a walk the other day, and we we're talking about how, um, you know, I've had people come up to me and that make, you know, they, they tell me what they, they ate on the weekend or they made cookies and everyone feels like they got to justify because I'm a trainer. Yeah. They got to justify what they did to me. Like I care. Yeah. Well, I do. But at the end of the day, like they're an adult, they could do what they want. Right. And, um, they're like, yeah, Tom, I you know made these really, really great cookies. And, um, but they had like, but they have oats and honey or they have oats and apple in them. So they're healthy. And yeah. I'm like, it's a cookie, eat it. Right. It's good. Right. Uh, you, you don't have to, you don't have to like, and like you said, you don't have to mark something as good or bad. Mm -hmm. it, I always say, you know, it, the food is not good or bad for you. I just like to say there are some foods you could eat more of, and mm -hmm. there's some foods that you probably should eat less of. 
-hmm. It's not good or bad. Like, you know, we all know that veggies and kale and leafy greens, eat those until your eyeballs are bulging out of your head, right? They're, Mm -hmm. they're just super nutritious. They're packed, they can nutrient dense. Mm -hmm. Um, and then yeah, the dessert I love, like I'm like, yeah, I'm Tom. I love, I eat brownies. I eat cupcakes. I eat all that stuff, Yeah, but it's, it's just not an all the time thing. You know, I, 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 you never have to say it's good or bad. It's just, I like to me, ice cream is not bad. It's really good. I love it. But we all have that understanding of, you know, I'm eating it too often and things like that, but it's, Mm -hmm. it should never be eliminated. If you enjoy it, you should never eliminate it. Right. And, and so that's how I kind of like to look at food is like, mm-hmm. guys, don't classify it as good or bad. Just say, you know, right. this, I could eat more of this. I need to eat less of, but this could all be a part of my, yeah, all a part of my life. Yeah. And that's, that's also where I would say if, if when I'm working with people, if, if they're saying things like, you know, I love ice cream, but I can't eat it because I can't stop. Usually what I'm digging for then is how come you can't stop? Yeah. I would say part of the reason some people can't stop is because they've been restraining themselves for so long. Yes. Right. And the permission part is, okay, maybe you just need to plan in ice cream once in a while for dessert. And then it's just not that big of a deal. Now Mm -hmm. I will say when people are coming off of an eating disorder or chronic dieting in the beginning, when I do work with them, those foods can, those foods, it's almost like giving permission to eat more of them because it's part of the process of like, the word is kind of like habituating, you know, like consistent exposure and enjoyment, you kind of realize, um, this may not be as big of a deal as I made it out to be. Cause I'm not restraining myself. Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. there is an intuitiveness, like, uh, when you're not in a restrained place, usually you kind of realize there's only so much ice cream you can eat and be satisfied. Right. But when you're restraining mm-hmm. yourself, it's like, now I need the whole gallon. But if, if there's some permission and normalizing, Um, you know, we went out for ice cream on a really hot summer night. We actually had it for dinner. Um, and I got a, an ice cream sandwich because it just sounded good to me. And it really wasn't that good. Mm -hmm. I mean, I threw half of it away just because it didn't taste very good. Now I will say (laughs) in my mind, I wanted it to taste good. So I had later that week, I just planned that into our, our meals and I bought some ice cream and some made some cookies and made my own Mm -hmm. ice cream sandwich. But so when, when I see, I guess the point is, is when I see people calling what they would say either, either overindulging or overeating or even binging, I usually look for why, where the restraint is coming from or where the control is coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think we kind of hit on that too. And like one of the, yeah. our podcasts is that when you're yeah. so restrictive during the week, mm-hmm. that's like, that's why like when you yes. feel like you're binging on something, that's probably means you're being too restrictive in the first yes. place. Yeah. And yeah, we see it all the time where people are like, I don't eat any sugar during, during the week, but then on right. Saturday and Sunday, it's just like open yeah. the floodgates. And, yeah. but if you allowed yourself a little bit of sugar here and there during mm-hmm. the week, then mm-hmm. you wouldn't feel like you need it. And for me, like I, I love sugar, right? Yeah. Everyone does. <laughs> I love chocolate. And so for me during the week, like how I, how I balance that out is like, usually when I'm doing dinner or after dinner, mm-hmm. we're doing cleanup. Everyone yeah. after dinner gets that sweet tooth. Yeah. Like, Ooh, what can I yeah. eat? Right. I always like to have, um, for me, what really helps me is like either some dried mango, or I do a little handful of chocolate chips. Yeah. And while I'm washing the dishes, I throw a couple of hand, like a little handful, maybe eight to 10 morsels of chocolate chips Sure. that just gets that urge. Mm-hmm. And then by the time I'm done doing the dishes, I'm like, I'm good. Mm-hmm. You know? And now that you're like not preventing yourself and be like, Oh, it's Wednesday. 
it's not Saturday right. or Sunday, so I can't have the sugar. Can't do it. Just right. force yourself to go upstairs and go to bed. Right. That's when, yeah, on the weekend, I'm like hitting up every bakery in Madison. Right. So it, yeah, right. it's, I, I really do love that. It's like, yeah, sometimes, yeah. you know, we feel like we need to binge or you're eating too much of it is because yeah, you are being a little bit too restrictive on yourself, yeah. even yeah. to start off. And right. yeah. Yeah. And sometimes oh. I'll tell people too, in those situations, I'll kind of tell people just to take like, um, I gave a talk at Abby's gym and we were talking about like taking a centering breath before mm -hmm. you eat sometimes. And sometimes it's just like, take a moment to like, calm your system down, pay attention to what you're doing, put the chocolate chips in your mouth and just give yourself a moment to pay attention and appreciate it and enjoy it. That, that can help instead mm -hmm. of like a lot of time dieting causes people to tune out. Like mm -hmm. they're not in tune with anything. They don't even know if it tastes good, you know, like whatever. And so just taking a moment to like, calm down, be aware, enjoy the taste and then move on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That so. helps me too. Like when it comes to just eating my dinner uh, to mm -hmm. not overeating is I like to eat my first plate and then mm -hmm. I don't instantly stand back up and go to the, cause right away I'm like, yeah, I could keep eating, mm -hmm. but then I just set the plate down and I just like, you know, either whether Kelly and I are watching TV or we're yeah. conversing, I just allow a little bit of time to pass. And then I realize I allow my body to process mm -hmm. that food. It's in my stomach, send, you know, send the mm -hmm. fullness meter up to my brain and being like, you know what? Yeah, I could eat more, but I'm actually pretty satiated. Yeah. And you, you know, you find yourself, I've heard some people who really do this after they load their first plate up with food, they instantly put the other stuff right away in um, containers okay. and put it in the fridge sure. because human nature, we're not going to want to get up, open the fridge, open the containers, you know, and you just yeah. kind of like find ways to help you realize, mm -hmm. um, you know, slow that process down, you know, make mm -hmm. it, you know, more steps will give you more time to right. process of being like, am I actually still hungry? Oh, I guess I'm not. I'm pretty good. Just take, you know? yeah. And I, yeah. And the one thing you pointed out that I think is very helpful is satisfaction is a big factor. So you kind of mentioned being satiated that it's very helpful. If you can, there's a difference between fullness and being satiated and satisfaction satisfaction is what helps people stop, not just a physical sensation of fullness. So again, dieting kind of points us to fill up on the free foods or fill up on fruits and vegetables so that you don't eat the things that are um, bad, but our bodies are, are really smart. And, and satisfaction is one of the things that helps us stop, not just being full. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just liked the way you worded that, like, when you're done with your first plate and you just give yourself a moment to like catch up with what's going on, you're like, I actually am satisfied. It's not mm -hmm. just about being physically full. It is satisfaction mm -hmm. plays a role in stopping. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for me, when I'm, when I'm physically full, that's usually a really good sign of that. I overate. Like I always say, you know, when I'm like, when I'm physically full and I feel like, you know, I need to mm -hmm. unbutton the pants or I'm like, Oh, I'm breathing. And I'm like, that's a really, for me, that's a really big, like hunger. Like that's a big cue to me, a big sign to me. Like, Whoa, what you just did was you, you overate for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I like to be, when I get finished eating, I like to feel comfortable and yeah, mm -hmm. like satiated and enjoyed what I ate, but I'm like, I feel like I could still go up and go for a walk yeah. without being like, Hey, I need 30 minutes to like digest what I just had. Sure. I feel like I'm still able to, to move and, and function and be, be comfortable. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's just like finding, and that's where I think that's where the intuitive eating comes into is figuring out where your body and, mm -hmm. and how you like to respond to what you eat and, and how right. you feel. And, and like, for me, satisfaction comes to like the taste of what I eat as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why like cooking off of recipes is really, really yeah. important to us because mm -hmm. 
I always tell people like, and everyone thinks that eating healthy is like chicken breast with like, you know, boring broccoli and stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm like, if that's what was eating healthy was, yeah, of course (laughs) there'd be no way I was doing it. That is by no means exciting for me to eat that. Right. And, um, and so, you know, before I met Kelly, we would, I was just the typical guy bachelor, just like I would go to the grocery store, walk up and down every aisle with no, you know, like no plan, no grocery yeah. list. And I would just grab stuff off the shelf, like, oh, tuna. Yeah. I'll grab some of that. I probably <laughs> should have chicken breast because that's what healthy people do is they eat right. chicken breast. So I'd grab the, like the 20 pound bag of chicken breasts that are frozen. And I yeah. just kind of like base my, my meals off of that. And I realized like, I just never really liked it. And so mm-hmm. I'd always end up going out and grabbing stuff and but then Kelly was like, you know, have you ever tried, like when I met her, she was always very, and Kelly was rare. She was, you know, when she was in college, she was already meal planning with her roommates. They were rating mm-hmm. grocery list and planning. And yeah. she really, fa- she found what worked for her at a very young age. And um, she introduced, introduced me to that world of let's go to Pinterest, find five really tasty recipes that sound really great. Make yeah. your grocery list shop with a plan. So you're now you're not wasting food. You come home. And then mm-hmm. I realized, wow. I can, we can really make really tasty food at home to the point now where like going out to eat to me, isn't really that fun because I realize when I go out to eat, it really never tastes as good as home. I mm-hmm. tend to get a lot less food for a lot mm-hmm. higher price at the right. restaurant. And I end up leaving being like, eh, that was okay, but sure. it definitely wasn't okay. Cause I just spent 150 bucks. I could have made that at home for like 20. Right. And me and Kelly right. always joke when we sit down and we look at our meal that we made, that looks really super awesome. And I'm like, how much would this cost at a restaurant? <laughs> we always say that to each other. Right. <laughs> I'm like, this is easily a $30 plate at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And um, that makes cooking and eating so fun for us. So like, what yeah. can we make right inside of our kitchen? And yeah. that is really satisfying to me. And that really helps me um, be excited about eating because I think a lot of times people are just not excited about eating because I it's know. scary. They don't get excited about their meals because they're like, well, I don't know, should I eat it? Or they get really nervous because a friend invites them out to dinner and and they're not going to be in their safe zone of home. Mm -hmm. So they're like freaking out about what they should eat. And and I'm like, food is food. And I always say what you do once isn't Mm -hmm. going to affect you. It's now what you do multiple times and over and over. And so it's like, enjoy yourself, like on your birthday. And when you do, you know, special things like, yeah, go out, have the cake, enjoy yourself. Right. Because no one is what they do once and yeah. just allow yourself that freedom to just enjoy yourself. And, and like you kind of hit on a little bit earlier, it's, you know, sometimes I feel like when we tell people, yo, yeah, eat whatever you want, you know, mm-hmm. it is okay. Like ice cream isn't bad or brownies aren't bad, but then you, sometimes you open the door to being like where people start to justify them to themselves mm-hmm. of like, oh, it's just a brownie. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. oh, it's just ice cream. I'm fine. Cause they try to be nice to themselves. And, and mm-hmm. then it it leads to like a unbalance of where, because they could justify that to themselves and they're feeling like they're being nice to themselves, they end up eating it more often. Mm-hmm. And there is that fine balance of like being mm-hmm. nice to yourself and understanding that you can have that. Right. But it's like I said, where I was like labeling foods of like some things you could eat more of and some things you probably should eat less of. And you just got to kind of have that internal scale of like where that should be. And Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where part of my job is to help people get to a place where that can just take a long time to figure out, especially if you've been disordered or have an eating disorder. Um, Sometimes in the beginning, eating behaviors may look worse before they look better. And that Mm -hmm. it just, there is a lot of emotion wrapped up in people's eating and their weight. It's a very emotional experience. And um, sometimes that permission in the journey 
brings out a lot of emotions because it's kind of like um you're just kind of thinking through why why couldn't I have had this before or why do I why does this taste so good and why do I want so much and it just kind of brings up a lot of thoughts and feelings and so that that journey can take a while to to process through if you're not in a stable place with your eating mm-hmm. um, but enjoyment is a huge factor for sure um mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine eating chicken breast and broccoli every night for dinner just to look a certain way like I would just not it's not sustainable. It's not satisfying. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people healthy doesn't look away. Healthy is, is your definition of healthy, you know, Mm -hmm. and it it doesn't. And that's why I I think in your last newsletter, you said that, um, uh, 15 year old girls are the ones that are modeling off the, the wedding dresses. Oh, I because, know. Because <laughs> they tr- they try to get women to think that that's how you should look in your wedding dress, and yeah. it's like, no, how you look in your wedding dress is completely up to you. And right. as long as you're comfortable, that's good to go. Like there yeah. is no no way mm-hmm. you gotta look. And I I always right. try to tell people that they have they they base their their nutrition or they based out how are they based how they work out off of a look, mm-hmm. and it's it, it's really, and it, that, that doesn't work, you know, and there's yeah. another coach that uh, my, and my wife really liked that she, um, she was a competitive, like D one athlete her whole life. Um, okay. she is competitive, competitive in the CrossFit world. I mean, she mm-hmm. just is one of those women who just has a body that you're like, Whoa, like mm-hmm. six pack abs, just super lean and strong. And, um, and so she, um, has been doing that her whole life. And then she has now had, um, I think she's had two kids and now she's about mm-hmm. to have her third. And every time she has a kid, she bounces back really quick after her baby. Mm-hmm. And, um, she, within, you know, six months to a year, she's back to six pack and mm-hmm. she looks really, really good. And a lot of the people comment on her post being like, tell me what you do to look like that. Cause that's how I want to look after my baby. Mm-hmm. And she goes, did you look like this before your baby? Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, no. And it's because like, she goes, you you're discounting all the years I like, mm-hmm. you know, all the, yeah. you know, the way I look genetically, um, mm-hmm. and then the way I trained from five years old, like we, you know, you gotta be understand. It's like you the way you look is yeah. based off of a lot of different factors. And mm-hmm. because you see someone who has a six pack, you know, a year after a baby doesn't mean that, you know, what she does for dieting and working out is what you need to be doing. Right. Because yeah. it just, you we're, we're, we're looking and that's why we're like, looks, can mm-hmm. kind of lead people. They find, they see somebody that they think looks the way they want to look. And then they try to emulate what they're doing when right. what they're doing does not, it, it does not align with them at all. It, it won't right. serve them at all. Like working out three hours a day and then yeah. weighing their food, every meal serves mm-hmm. that person. And it works really well for them, but mm-hmm. you might realize like, Whoa, I don't have the time for that. And yeah. it just doesn't serve me at all. And People always ask me and Kelly, like, what do you guys do for working out? What do you guys do for eating? Because, you know, we're supposed to be like the, the, you know, the poster children of, you know, healthy living. And I just say, you know, like, Tom, do you count your calories? Nope. Do do you follow a diet? Nope. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I, you know, really try to live the intuitive eating lifestyle of I, nothing is out of, you know, there's nothing that I can't eat. Um, but I find the balance of what's important to me and, it aligns with my goals. My eating needs to align with my goals. And it's finding that, um, that balance. And everyone's like, wow, you don't weigh your, you don't weigh your, I'm like, you don't weigh your calories. I'm like, no, I, I, I don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't, you know, because I never, like you said in the earlier, the podcast, you never want food to be a number. 
And I think a lot mm-hmm. of diets make food a number. So you look yeah. at like, you start realizing portion sizes and stuff. You're like, oh, that's 270 calories or yeah. that's 13 points on my Weight Watchers. And mm-hmm. food stops becoming food and fun yeah. and tasty. And it starts becoming numbers. And I think once food right. starts becoming numbers, it just really makes food just not very inviting. And yeah, scary. yeah. And it's, and it's quite honestly, it's pretty incompatible with being able to internally regulate because it's so external. So you just, you, you have to shut down the internal regulating to even sustain most diets. And then that's, I guess you're eating more robotically then, you know, mm-hmm. but that's not internal. It's, it's very external and to be external, you can't, you can't trust those cues. And sometimes by the time I work with people, they don't even know what they like to eat anymore. They're not even close to internally regulating because it's been so external for so long Mm -hmm. that it's, you have to shut down. You have to shut down internal regulation. If, if, um, you're eating to either look a certain way or, um, you know, attain some, like you said, being congruent with like how you want to live is a, is a, is a big factor in trying to figure out, help people figure out how to eat. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and oftentimes with dieting, or if it's purely for vanity, and I understand why people do it for vanity, but if it's purely for that, you probably have to shut some system down to maintain it. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you're counting points and you're hungry and you're out of points, like, what do you do? Go to bed hungry, or you can fill up on free things, I guess, but that's, still there's no satisfaction there. And that usually doesn't work long-term for most people. Some people can maintain it. Mm-hmm. It, se- it seems, I don't know how to help people do that. Cause I just feel like I can't even go there. Cause I don't know how to do it, but it seems yeah. some people can, some people can live like that. And yeah. Yeah. Some okay, people, you but- know, some people really do succeed on black and white eat this, not that, you know, yeah. and some people really do see a lot of success following specific diets that say you could eat this, but not that. And people see great results and they live a really, really healthy life with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just not for everyone. And I like how you said like robotic people eat robotic. And my big thing is like everything we do, we should be learning. So when I, when someone comes into the gym, I don't want them to just turn their brain off when they work out. I want them to learn about their body and I want them to yeah. learn how to do these movements by themselves. They mm-hmm. shouldn't need Tom all the time to be there to tell them how to do a bodyweight squat. If they want to do squats at home, like I want them okay. to learn how mm-hmm. I teach them. And I think sometimes dieting. Yeah. If you follow a specific diet, it will get you a specific result if you stick to it and you're consistent. But when you decide to get off that diet, you don't learn, you didn't learn anything. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. and my big thing is like with food, we really need to be learning, like learning what all these words mean. And and it all goes back to the school system, right? We could kind of go on a tangent of like what we're not taught growing up. And my big Mm -hmm. thing is if like I was a gym teacher, I'd be teaching more people how to move their bodies in the weight room Mm -hmm. and exercise than Mm -hmm. playing football when 90% of the kids in gym class didn't care to play football. And so my big thing is it's like, why don't we do something in gym class that benefits everybody, the Mm -hmm. the people who care about sports and the people who don't care about sports that's where I think gym class needs to go, but I was never taught anything about how to make a meal plan, right. how, what a, what a calorie was, um, mm-hmm. what, what it meant calories in and calories out or mm-hmm. BM, you know, on my BMR, my basal mm-hmm. metabolic rate and mm-hmm. how exercise and lean muscle mass will, you know, uh, di- you know, differ or, you know, change that number and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And I think, you know, it all starts at a young age where we're not being taught any of this stuff. So by yeah. the time we all take for granted our bodies growing up until 20, 30 years old. Mm-hmm. And then by the time we get to that point where we're like, oh, I need to, you know, start making some changes. 
we realize that we've never learned, we've never learned anything mm-hmm. because we've did these diets that literally told us what to do instead of mm-hmm. taught us what to do. Mm-hmm. And I really think that is if we could get to the point where everyone starts learning this stuff at an earlier age and we start teaching mm-hmm. and exposing and, and people start learning about their bodies and what a calorie is, just like they know what a squat is, you know, it could really help us um, long-term with just yeah. the understanding of how those two play up, play a role with each yeah. other. Yeah. 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 I think it, it is, it's, seems like there could be a little bit of help in that area. And I, I do think it's, I think it gets hard. Like, I think at the younger ages, just playing with recipes and food is totally fine. And letting parents take charge, like cognitively young kids telling them to eat carrots because it's good for your eyesight is pointless, but as kids get older and in high <laughs> that's school, that's the only reason I, that's the only reason I ate carrots when I was a kid. Oh, uh, cause I realized my eyes are going bad. My dad's like, you know, if you eat more carrots, your eyes will get better. I was like, sweet, load it up. <laughs> that's funny. Um, Well, that reminds me of a story about my, our oldest, I think our oldest kid is probably the most naturally into like health and things like that. And there was a phase during high school when he wanted to eat healthier. I'm the only one in my house who likes whole wheat bread. No one else really enjoys the taste of it. Um, But he's like, I'm going to eat healthier. So he started eating whole wheat bread. And after about a week, um, I don't know, I don't know how it came up, but he said, oh my gosh, I cannot stand the taste of it. Like he was literally only eating it for health reasons but he did not enjoy the taste of it at all. And he could not wait to stop eating that. So that kind of reminds me of the carrots a little bit. Like you can't, I guess you can't force someone to like something they don't like, like yeah. he- healthy or not. If, if kale is healthy, great. But if you can't stand the taste of it, there's no point in telling yes, you to eat I kale. love that point. Eat what you yeah. enjoy. Like right. just because kale is healthy doesn't mean if you hate it, you have to eat it. And I think that's right. where a lot of people think that eating right. healthy means you have to eat specific foods, even if you right. don't like them. And that right. is not true at all. Yeah. But I do think what gets hard though, is at the high school level, when you can be a little bit more of a, um, abstract thinker or, uh, critical thinker that that's a huge time for eating disorders to come out. And when yeah. schools do get too much into the, when they get into the calories or figuring out BMI, which should just be a doctor parent thing. I don't even think that should be in the schools, but it, it's a, it's a hard line to figure out what what you're educating in a way that's helpful versus harmful. Yeah. And, a lot and of that's eating, what I was thinking. Yeah. It'd yeah. be really hard. It's like, cause you want to educate people like, yeah. here's what your basal metabolic rate is. It's how many calories your body burns just through the natural processes of blinking and breathing and pumping blood. Sure. Yeah. And you know, and it's that's like a lot thinking, more calories than people realize. Oh, for sure. It's huge. Right. And then people are always surprised and what that number is. And then, you know, in not going into like strategies of figuring out where your, you know, where your calorie surplus or your, yeah. your deficit or your maintenance phase is. There's a lot of science that goes behind it, um, which could be a really good, helpful indicator for a lot of people figuring out, you know, how much and what to eat if they're really Mm -hmm. interested in on calories and stuff like that. But yeah, you know, I feel like, you know, there is that fine line of teaching the students of like, just understanding what those letters mean and BMR, but yes, getting away from the area where it could trigger a disorder. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, that's very tough and that's a fine line. And I think Mm -hmm. that's, that that's going to be a really tough, tough, spot. And I think like you said, like I wonder two if school systems don't necessarily, yeah, like they probably don't have that in the curriculum just because they don't want to toe that line. Yeah. I think it's, it's, I think it's in some, but I'm not, I'm not positive on, on all of those details, but I do know some will, you know, come in saying they got compared and on the scale or BMIs were higher and we're told to get to a lower BMI, even if genetically they, they might just be at a higher BMI. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be the beginning of just trying to get to a place where your body's just not meant to be. And that can just mm-hmm. be the beginning of disorder. Mm-hmm. There's and a lot think- of, yeah, I was just going to say there, it, what's hard is once you've worked in this field for a while too, it, the further you dig, 
the more complex it gets, but there is a lot of privilege in being in, being in a size that society thinks is good. If, if those are your genetics, there's a lot of privilege in that. And if your genetics are bigger, it's, it's hard to live in a society that does not treat people in larger bodies with respect or treat them as humans. Um, mm -hmm. It's kind of heartbreaking to hear some of the stories of how people in larger bodies get treated. And um, that's a whole nother area that, you know, mm -hmm. there are a lot of books and research on that too, on, on how just people, if you fall in the normal range, you're just assumed to be healthy. And if you're in the higher range, you're not healthy. I think you, I heard one of your podcasts, you talked about, even you went to the doctor and he, your doctor didn't like your BMI without yeah, asking then, you any questions. I know that was one of the big, like that just, you know, I don't, the healthcare system's great. If you break a bone, go see a doctor. Right. Yeah. Um, and I do think there's so many things that we're at, we're at fault with like a, your common doctor. I think they, I can't remember the percentage, but they, they have like zero training in nutrition. You're like mm -hmm. you're your general mm -hmm. physician doctor that you'll go see. They, yeah. they know nothing about nutrition. They don't that their medications, pills, and only in diagnosing mm -hmm. things. And they know nothing about nutrition. And, and I, I was so sad when that happened, yeah. like my faith in the healthcare system just like tumbled like majorly when That's unfortunate, he just, yeah. yeah, just never asked me a single question. Or even just how you told, eat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He didn't ask me one question. All he said was, Tom, you're overweight. Your BMI is overweight and you um, need to eat healthier and exercise more without, you know, two things without one asking me what I'm eating and how I'm exercising. And then two, without even prescribing me yeah. what he recommends for me to eat and right. what he recommends for me to do for exercise. Like there was right. no conversation at all. And I was just like, that is where we're failing massively. We're like, we're mm -hmm. failing so bad in that, re that, in that, in that area, in that arena. It's just so, so sad to me. You didn't even have a chance to like, say this. I mean, I eat probably in his mind, probably very health, very healthy. If you described mm -hmm. how you ate and how much you work out, like, were you mm -hmm. even able to say, look, I already do these things. You know what? I probably could have said something, but I was just like, you know, I'm not even going to go into it. Cause he doesn't yeah. care. Like, you know, you know, when you're talking to somebody and they actually care about what mm -hmm. you're up, what, if they ask a question, you actually could tell if, whether they really care about your answer or not, yeah. or they're just blanketing at you a question just because. Mm -hmm. And when he said that, it's like, you know, I could sit here and just like go into it with them and, and really let him know. And then I was in a, in a way I was kind of intrigued to say, let's say, let's see what he says, what I tell him, what I do. Mm -hmm. And then let's see if he either says, oh, okay, you sounds like you're doing a great job, Tom, you know, disregard, or if you would have tried to pick it apart and, and mm -hmm. find the nuances, maybe where he didn't think I was doing great just to try mm -hmm. to prove a point to me. And I didn't, yeah. I didn't want to get into it, yeah. but which is um, fine. It, I mean, yeah. yeah, you know, cause I, you know, at the end of the day, it, I didn't care what he thought you because knew, I, right. yeah, I yeah. know, I know what I'm doing and I'm, I'm fine, but, right. um, it just was just really sad, you know, mm -hmm. and it just, it's, it's, but, and, but a lot of people, they think, they put so much faith in their doctor that they tend to not seek out people like you or me or people mm -hmm. they feel like are less educated or, or less qualified to give them advice because they don't wear a schmock in, in an office. Mm -hmm. And, and they, they think that what their doctor tells them is what they need to do. And, and mm -hmm. it's just not necessarily because I feel like doctors are, they're regulated, you know, the, the, mm -hmm. he literally yeah. has to go off a of BMI. Like that's what his computer told him to do. Right. And if my, since my BMI, because I carry a lot of lean muscle mass, my mm -hmm. BMI, yeah, I'm only yeah. five foot eight. I'm a short man, mm -hmm. but I have a lot of lean muscle mass. So it puts yeah. me on the BMI. And now it's like, mm -hmm. when you solely live off of just what the BMI without actually talking or conversing right. with the person, you are skewed. And yeah. I was just like, Oh my goodness. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. We're taught to look at the whole curve of the BMI, not just, you can't, you can't look at one point without taking in the context of history and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and the BMI was started just to compare populations. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't meant for the individual anyway, in the beginning, we just kind of it was yeah, there's so many, kind of... there's so many other health factors that are way more important right. than, than your BMI. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, I, you know, there's been, there's been clients that, yeah, they do come back from their doctor's appointment and the doctor tells them they're obese or whatever, and their BMI. And I'm like, just forget about that. Like, I know mm-hmm. the trajectory that you're on, you're mm-hmm. good to go. Like, we're going to mm-hmm. get you like, don't worry about that. There's so much more important. And yeah. that's, you know, as a trainer and as a dietitian, that's where mm-hmm. we're everybody, you get caught up in all the negative stuff. And that's the stuff that sticks out for you, the red lights. And you forget about all the little wins that you're having along Mm -hmm. the way of like, Mm -hmm. you know, for us in the gym, it's people's little wins on like the consistency they're showing up, the, the weights Mm -hmm. and the weight increases, the, the times in which they're doing their workouts faster and faster and faster. Um, but for whatever reason, when someone steps on the scale and it's not the number that they wanted to say that trumps everything that trumps all the little wins. And, um, but that number is just a number and there's so much more behind that number. And that's why I love like when yeah. people get DEXA, when you go to get DEXA mm-hmm. scans, have you heard of that? Like a DEXA oh, scan yeah. or, mm-hmm. or an in-body scan, because it tells you the whole story. Mm-hmm. And then everyone's like, oh, okay. Like, look at all that yeah. lean muscle mass I have. And my lean muscle mass is actually equating to this much weight in my body. Oh, wow. I don't have as much fat as I thought mm-hmm. I did. And it right. really helps people start to understand their body a little bit more. And it, mm-hmm. it, 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 it tells you the story behind that number. And right. Right. Um, yeah. And that's, and that's yeah. important, you know, and, and, and not to uh, keep going <laughs> deeper yeah. and deeper, but because there's just so much we could talk about, but I think about just the influence social media, you know, me and yeah. you didn't grow up with that social media. Mm-hmm. Like it was just kind of starting with when I was in school and you didn't have it. And I, I couldn't even imagine being a, a kid now trying to grow up and, and, and with the social media stuff, like, Oh, that is leading to so it's so I detrimental it when is. it comes to the nutrition and health side of things, because um, yeah. it's just so bad. There's so much stuff out there that people can read and, and so many opinions and the way you should look and stuff. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's another yeah. battle. That's another yeah. battle that parents are now having to face that right. we didn't go through. So it's hard for us to relate. And so we're trying to play catch up a little bit. Yeah. We usually just recommend one of the things we recommend in eating disorder recovery or disordered eating recovery is to try to take turn that into a positive and follow different body shapes and sizes, like just visually look at and accept that people come in different shapes and sizes and function pretty very well and live a full life. Don't, mm-hmm. don't only look at the narrow ones. Cause that, you know, what you fill your mind with is what you think everyone's doing. It's just, it's not an accurate, it's not an accurate perception to only filter to the people with six pack apps. That's actually probably more abnormal than normal, you know? So don't just look at that, look at other different body types and follow other people who, are healthy at different shapes and sizes. You know, there's a, there's a, a movement called health at every size where, where it's a little bit of what you're saying. I think that there are other factors we're looking at and moving your body and getting some level of activity can help no matter what your size is. Even if you don't lose weight, blood pressure can get better. You know, things, yes. markers can get better, even if you're at a larger size. So Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's always say like the number on the scale is not one of the numbers I'm super concerned about. There's a mm-hmm. lot of other like, you know, blood markers and things like that, mm-hmm. that are way more important than that necessarily weight. 
Right. Um, and weight's a great number. It's a, it's a good point to like, if you're somebody who has a healthy relationship with stepping out of scale and, and seeing your weight, it could give you a good marker and, right. and you know, it's, it's a way, not the way. And some mm-hmm. people have really love stepping on the scale and it just helps them stay consistent, you know, and mm-hmm. they step on the scale and they're like, yep, yep. I know why that's up. You know, I, I did this, this Saturday and Sunday, but guess what? Monday I'm getting right back on the bandwagon and, mm-hmm. you know, for everyone's got to find the thing that helps them. And, yeah. and, um, it, it, there's just so many different ways and tactics you could use and mm-hmm. um it's good so well well Natalie so we're going to jump yeah. into some of the the fun questions I feel like okay. um talking with you I could talk forever about this topic yeah. and we're both so passionate about it um so what I'll do but I don't want to respect your time yeah. and stuff yeah. too but um we'll go ahead and finish off with a couple of questions um that I think people really like to hear about you know other people and and uh tips and tricks and things like that and do you, um, so what is your morning routine? Um, everyone is really intrigued by people's morning routines and how they start their day. Uh, do you have one or does it kind of uh, differ, you know, day to day? That is funny. I, the only reason why I'm laughing is I, <laughs> I'm probably not what people picture at all. I'm, I'm, I would say I lean toward the lazy side. <laughs> yeah. I've always been, um, somewhat of a physically active person, like, you know, played sports, then in college, I learned to like jogging or running. Then I had kids and I did more walking than running. So I've always been somewhat of a physically active person. And I raised four kids. So you can't be super lazy and raise four <laughs> kids. But my nature is a little more lazy. So to answer your question, I wake up and have coffee. And I now it's scrolling through and just kind of reading information. Read I read a lot of information. Um, and if I don't have much going on, I can tend to stay in my comfortable coast for a while and so jealous, not, not get a structure into my day until later in the morning. So I, I mean, like I might eat a non-typical breakfast sometimes around nine or 10 o'clock if I don't have much going on. Cause that's just naturally when I probably start getting hungry. And I do think Mm -hmm. that that came out of having four kids and just not like feeding four kids when they're younger. I, it just delayed my time of eating later. In yes, the day. absolutely. Cause it's um, important to get, you gotta, you gotta get right. them fed or out the door right. to school. And then right. once they're gone now, mom can yeah. feed herself. So our, our, but, but I am in this transition where as I'm, I'm getting older and my body's changing as I get older. Um, and my kids are getting older. So I'm in a place where I'm naturally waking up earlier, which is new to me. I I'm not used to that. And I'm actually really liking it. So and then it just seems to be coinciding with working with Abby. And so I, I have my appointments with her are at like nine or nine 30. She's a half hour drive for me, which is kind of a bummer. Um, but that's helping me get going a little bit on the days when I meet with her, it's kind of like, okay, I have somewhere to be, I have to get there. Um, mm-hmm. so I I'm liking that. And that's new for me. It's, it's not mm-hmm. my nature. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, as much as like in the fitness industry, we got to wake up really early, you know, because yeah, people sure. like to get, people like to get their workouts yeah. in before they go to work. Right. And so I sometimes don't blame that's, them. A, that's a four 30, five 30, you know, um, at the gym and that's early. And, but for me, I realized that, you know, as much as that sometimes tough, you do kind of find a, a little bit of a routine with it, but I find, and I love being early because I feel like my day just gets so extended. I feel like I could accomplish so much more mm-hmm. and um, it really does. And so that the days that, that I love my, the days that I love myself to sleep in, like on the weekends and stuff where I wake up at seven or eight, I feel like half the day's gone. I'm like, what happened? Like, I feel like I'm so yeah. far behind. So, yeah. but it's, yeah, waking up, it, it's good to always. And I always like starting my day. Like I always like, I like when people get into that routine of working out in the morning, it's like starting your day with a win. Yeah. You know, you're, you're starting your day by filling up your glass and, and mm-hmm. giving yourself time and focusing yeah. on you for a little bit, which is sometimes with, with life and, and jobs. And if you're a parent, like, 
your day might be filled with you kind of like serving a lot of other people. And we yeah. forget that serving ourselves is really important because when we serve ourselves, it allows us to serve others better yeah. because we don't get resentful. And so I love getting people to work out in the morning because that's when your texts are not coming through. That's when not emails. Oh, sure. That's when work's not trying to get at you. And that's when you're going to be the most successful at like dedicating that time for you. So right. that's great. And everyone's like, I'll say, that's why we like asking that question. Cause everyone's morning, morning routines different. And, yeah. and, and that's kind of like letting everybody know it's like, you know, figure out what works best for you and what starts your day, you know, in right. like a, in a very positive, uh, um, mindset. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you just started working with Abby at Brookfield yeah. orange you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, before working with Abby, you know, what did, you know, like you said, you were a little bit of a runner and, mm-hmm. um, so kind of like, uh, what does like fitness look like for you now? Like that you, so are you just working with Abby a couple of days a week? And then do you do yeah. anything when you're not at orange shoe kind of, what does fitness look like for you? Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I, I usually say I'm a jogger. Like I have no desire to run a marathon or even a half marathon like that. Same here. Anything that I need to be, it helps if I'm internally motivated to work out and to be internally motivated, there's gotta be some level enjoyment. I realize you need to push people. And I I think I'm still working on even Abby, like probably pushing me past what's comfortable, but psychologically, I just need the habit and to enjoy it, to keep coming back. And I think she is being patient with me in that, which I really appreciate. Um, so anyway, I, I've been off and on jogger throughout my life. Um, the most I ever ran is we have a lake here in Oconomowoc. I ran around the lake and that was eight miles. And I probably didn't train very well to go around. And soon after that, I got Achilles tendon, no tendonitis, tendonitis. I'd like a marble in my Achilles tendon. It It hurt so bad. So after that, I went to a personal trainer, which was super helpful and it's never happened again, which I'm thankful for. But, um, so I, I learned from that to not like me pushing my body beyond what's comfortable. Just, I I don't want to ruin my ability to walk or jog for the rest of my life. So I'm just going to be a little bit more low key about it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I call myself a jogger. I would say the last four to maybe three to four years, for some reason, I just, what it got into walking, um, instead of jogging, like listening, walking to is so beneficial. Yeah. Like yeah. I always try to tell like a PSA to the world all the time <laughs> is that walking can yield so many great results. Mm-hmm do it more often. And yeah. And I think a lot of people don't do it because it seems so simple that they don't think that it could yield results. They're like, yeah, yeah everyone says, get this 10,000 step thing. Like, how can that even be any sort of beneficial? It seems so lame and mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like it's going to get me anywhere, but man, walking just like yeah. everything, it, like it, it, it's more so than moving your body. There are so many other benefits that come yeah. from walking too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, walking yeah. is tr- is amazing. Yeah. I think I'm going to start putzing around with trying to get back into jogging. I'm actually meeting with a, a trainer to help with running a little bit. She works a little bit with breathing. Um, so, okay. So I'm getting old, definitely getting older. My body's changing. Life is changing, which is why I started going back to Abby because I realized I need to build strength as a female, you know, instead of bone loss, just kind of building up strength and working on, um, bone and muscle strength. So that's a lot of the reason why I'm meeting with Abby. And then I'd like to get back into running and I'm meeting with, um, a trainer who helps with, breathing exercises. So I've had two episodes of tachycardia in the last probably two or three years. It's probably just a coincidence, but both times it happened after a jog. So there's something in me as, as if I start jogging and I feel my heart rate go up, there's something in me that just stop. I just walk. Cause I don't want to go into that again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could be totally random, but it just is a, so anyway, this, I think this 
I'll be curious to see where this goes, but it's to kind of help with breathing a little bit. Um, so I'm kind of looking forward to that and seeing mm -hmm. if that can help like calm me down a little bit as I'm, I would like to get back into jogging. I just, there's a little bit of a fear factor there. <laughs> mm -hmm, absolutely. And running is one of those things, just like anything, like there are coaches out there for it. And we all do, if you're looking to somebody like who wants to really be a runner or a jogger mm -hmm. and you want to do it the rest of your life, like there is a form to it. Yeah. And, and a lot of us think that it's just innately in us to like, oh yeah, I know how to run. Like, yeah, just start yeah, running, move, right. your, move your feet faster than walking. Right. That's running. And that's when we we're doing it wrong. And then that's when we lead to injuries, you know, the Achilles, mm -hmm. we're not taught how to breathe properly. And everyone's like, mm -hmm. breathe properly. You breathe in, you breathe out. Like, but there yeah. are different um, styles of breathing techniques that can really help people um, when you're running to help maintain heart rate and, you know, not let that high heart rate trigger mm -hmm. a, like an emotional response of being mm -hmm. like freaked out about it, especially mm -hmm. if you had, you know, tachycardia or tachycardia and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Like it could be scary. Yeah. Um, in my boat, and I always tell people when it starts with running, like don't ever think that you have to go a specific distance or time. It, okay. just master the other showing up and just do it a little bit. And I love for me, that was really super successful. Like getting better at running was doing like interval type style where you run for 20, mm -hmm. walk for a minute, run for 20, walk for a minute. Okay. And you do that for a couple of weeks and then you run for 30 seconds, walk for a minute, run for 30 seconds, walk for a minute. And you kind of just start, you know, like changing okay. that where next thing you know, you're running the whole time. And yeah. that's usually a nice, nice natural way of easing into running instead of just being like, I got to go for three miles, start, go start running. Right. You know, just change it up a little bit and say, I'm going to run at a decent rate for 30 seconds. And then I'm going to walk for a minute to a minute and a half. And I'm mm -hmm. going to do that 10 times today. And I'm going to see how much ground I cover in 10 intervals of 30 seconds of running and one minute of walking. And now you write yeah. down your score. Like, okay, I covered 1.2 miles. Well, now next time you do that same interval of 30 and one minute, you just try to beat your 1.2 miles. And it kind of gamifies running for you a little bit okay. to make it a little bit more fun, a little bit more right. competitive with you. Instead of just saying, oh, I got to go on that long three mile run today. I really don't feel like it. And yeah. getting to the point where running is something that you do just out of enjoyment and um, challenging yourself and more so. I just feel like I have to do it because, mm -hmm. you know, like Kelly, right. my wife, she like did a marathon and she okay. did it and she started training for it. And then she realized that like, there was those days where she had to run and it's not yeah. that she wanted to run. It was just yeah. because she had to, because that was the training mm -hmm. and the running became super unenjoyable for her. She did the, yeah. you know, she did the marathon, saw it through, but now until this, to this day, now she really doesn't really go for uh -huh. a run anymore, unless it's like programmed inside of her workout. She's not, yeah. a, I'm going to put my shoes on and go for a five because she realized like that style of training and just running because she had to really kind of yeah, that's lost the enjoyment of running. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 I could see that. All right, Natalie. So last question, we're going to wrap it up with, um, okay. this was always a kind of a fun one. And, uh, Tim Ferriss asked this question to a lot of people. Um, if you know who Tim Ferriss is, but he wrote the, like the four hour work week book and things like that. Okay. But, um, he has, to, uh, he asked a bunch of people this question. If there was one thing that you could put on a billboard for everybody in the world to see, what would you put on there? Like, what would that saying be like, and let's kind of have it be more geared towards your, mm -hmm. um, dietitian and your, your profession. So if there was one sentence or one phrase that you could put on a billboard for everybody in the world to see in reference to what you do, what would you want it to say? I have a couple of things going through my head about not dieting, but then I think about this permission paradox. So I, I think I would, I think it would probably be steering food towards a positive direction. So mm -hmm. something about, in, something about enjoying your eating in your food, mm -hmm. in your meals, mm -hmm. like bring in, bring the enjoyment back to eating, bring the mm -hmm. enjoyment back into eating or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's powerful. I, I, I love that question because everybody in, in their profession has that like one thing that they mm-hmm. wish that like they could just, ugh, just like, I wish I could just let everybody know this. Right. And yeah. I think that would be so cool um, to have that and just be, to let, you know, get that message out there. And yeah. Um, yeah. That's really true. Just bring the enjoyment yeah. back to eating, you know? That's, yeah. There's just so much negativity around it. That's just kind of frustrating. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you could totally, a little more it. positive. Just like, yeah. Oh, you know, <laughs> that's the human nature, right? We overthink everything, right? And we overthink our eating, we overthink our exercise, we overthink our sleeping. And it's just at the end of the day, it's peeling all those layers back and just bringing it back down to the basics. And I always say, if if you can't do the basics right, why are you jumping to like the 10th grade level? You know, you got to start at the Mm -hmm. kindergarten level and work your way up. But when we all want to make change in our life, for whatever reason, we want to go from zero to hundred miles an hour really quick. Right. And we, that's where we fail. And it's just give yourself that, you know, be kind to yourself and give yourself that ability to just slowly make these changes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, all right, Nelly. So how can somebody find you like on social media or email, or how can someone subscribe to your email or your uh, newsletter that you have? How can people get in contact with Natalie? If they would love to just have a conversation uh, with you about what you do. Yeah. So my email is Natalie at permission dietitian.com. So that's one way to get a hold of me. I am on Instagram at permission dietitian and my website is permissiondietitian.com. So all three of those would probably be a way to reach out if people are interested in reaching out. Awesome. That would be great. I think there could be some people that listen to this that would, yeah, just love um, to just have a a really good, just open conversation with you. And I think you're, um, that's why I was so excited to have you on the podcast because we love creating um, connections with people that we really believe in and and that we trust in the industry too, because there are so many people out there that have a lot of underlying, you know, motives as to why mm-hmm. they reach out to fitness facilities. They kind of oh, want to sure. poach, they want to poach on our clients. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, we're really careful on making sure we're protecting our clients, but also introducing yeah. them to people that we really think are just genuine people who are, you know, doing what they're doing to make a positive change. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I was so excited well, to just to get to meet you and have you on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate the chance to, to talk to you. It was, very, it was helpful to hear about you and how you guys work too. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. You're welcome, Natalie. And uh, thank you again so much for being on today. All right. Thank you. As always, thank you so much for listening, everybody. I really appreciate every listen that I get. With that being said, if you have any feedback or any questions you would like answered on future episodes, please use the link in the bio above to submit me a quick little voice message you could do right from your phone. I would love to hear from you. So thank you so much again for listening and have a great rest of your day.